Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you today. Got a lot going on this week, as you guys are well aware. A lot going on. This will be the last week of on-campus bowl practice for Mississippi State. Now, we have had no media availability for obvious reasons. I suspect most people in the media would want to talk regularly about the passing of Mike Leach. We've talked about that extensively on the show. We're going to do one final segment later in the show about that. And I'll be honest with you, it's difficult today to do this show. It is. It is difficult. I'm not really having a good day. Really not. It's been very, very, very difficult. And I know it's been difficult for all of you. And let's continue to remember uh, Mike Leach's wife, Sharon, and their four children and their extended family, as well as the coaches and players. But uh, we have not had any media, media availability. Some people have asked, you know, where are our player interviews? What's going on? Well, we just we haven't had access to anybody. And, uh, again, that's for the best. I think the last thing that Will Rogers and Emmanuel Forbes and people like that, like that need is a camera and a microphone in their face and asking them questions about an unpleasant topic. I just, you know, I think in many respects it kind of prolongs the grief. Not to say that we don't respect the loss, but – you know, these guys are getting ready to go play a ball game here in a couple weeks. And uh, they're focused on each other, as they should be. And I think all of our, our right and desire to know things sometimes is outweighed by the fact that, uh, you know, they're dealing with their own grief. You know, they're, they're, they're dealing with the loss of somebody they saw on a daily basis and had a personal relationship with. And so we're going to respect that. Of course, uh, no changes to the coaching staff. There's always changes, though. You need to go ahead and be prepared for that. I don't know any names. I don't think anything has been communicated to anybody. Right now, we're all locked in on the bowl prep, right? And that's a difficult situation. I mean, goodness, Christmas is Saturday, and your Mississippi State coaches don't know if they're going to remain on staff. They, they don't know. Now, I don't suspect a lot of wholesale changes, but there could be. You know, my personal opinion is, is if we make – Major changes to the offensive staff, I think that's going to put us behind 
a year or two. That's just my personal opinion. I think it would set us back a little bit. I think you stay the course. You, you bring some innovation. You run maybe a more modern version of the air raid. You, you run the football a little bit more. Perhaps you target more of a mobile quarterback. And Mike Leach was beginning to do that, you know, in his recruiting offers. But uh, I share all that just because I don't suspect that we'll have any major news in that respect until after the bowl game. Just my personal opinion. I, just, I, don't, I don't expect that. I have learned that Steve Spurrier Jr. will call the plays in the bowl game. He will be the offensive play caller. There are a lot of moving parts to all of that. You know, I, I don't know if that means that, uh, you know, Steve's on the sidelines or in the booth or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know. I suspect he'll be on the field, you know, so he can deal directly with the quarterback. But uh, possibly that's Drew Holling's head. That was part of Drew's responsibilities before he became your inside receiver coach. But – you know, I don't know how Zach wants to structure the offense. Uh, for that matter, I don't know how Zach wants to structure the defense. Does he promote Matt Brock to be the defensive coordinator? Possibly. Does he make uh, Tony Hughes the full-time safeties coach? As you know, Tony has coached the uh, the dog safeties. Does Tony's on-the-field role expand? Kind of moving forward. you got to go get an offensive coordinator, and you only got one currently one vacancy on the staff. You know, Zach moves up to take Leach's spot. So you have to find one coach to replace Zach, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be on defense. Does Zach Arnett want two wide receiver coaches? Does Zach Arnett want to run the air raid? Don't know. Those are all questions that will be answered here in the next couple of weeks. And Zach Arnett will stand behind a podium tomorrow, excuse me, in two days. It all runs together after a while as uh, at the uh, December signing press conference. We're going to kind of break down that in our next segment of the show about what to expect and potential new additions. Bulldogs with a big new commitment today. So there's a lot left to learn, but there are no easy answers at this point. The only thing that we know for certain is the staff remains intact through the bowl game, and then Zach will take some time over the course of the next couple of weeks and consider his course of action. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I ate there Friday night, as promised. It was absolutely outstanding. Had the spring rolls as the appetizer. I'm much better looking today. It was good that I ate the spring rolls on Friday because I had a pair of uh, appearances on Saturday, and a lot of people took pictures, and and, uh, I look great in those pictures, if I do say so myself. Many of you have had spring rolls, too. I've noticed Mississippi has been more beautiful as of late. So improve your own personal appearance by going to Bulldog Burger Company and getting the spring rolls as your appetizer. Have that great restaurant-quality hamburger. Get that dessert. I got the, uh, the, the bread pudding, the Shipley's bread pudding with a scoop of ice cream, and it was really more than I could take on. My, my entree was the BLT salad grilled. You may like it fried. I prefer it grilled. Both of them great either way. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today, and you never know. There could be a new one popping up at some point in the next couple of years. Could be in your neighborhood. Who knows? Bulldog Burger Company makes everything better. Go by and check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, our top story. Mississippi State picks up a commitment today from Vicksburg defensive lineman Caleb Bryant. Not a real surprise in many respects. I have felt like Caleb Bryant would be a Bulldog uh, throughout this process, even after he committed to Utah back this summer. He and Mac Howard both uh, you know, committed uh, to Utah. 
and then uh, Bryant backed off of that. But uh, let's run through the Caleb Bryant file, if we will. Of course, he had the offer from Mississippi State, took an official visit to Starkville back on December 2nd, did not visit anywhere last weekend, and that was kind of a telltale sign that things were done. Of course, he has the offer from Utah, Alabama A&M, Alabama State, Alcorn State. It gets better from there. Arkansas State, Austin P, Buffalo, Florida International, Florida A&M, Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Grambling State, Jackson State, Louisiana Tech, Memphis, Miami, Middle Tennessee State, Missouri, Navy, Nebraska, Oregon, Prairie View A&M, Southeast Missouri State, Southern Mississippi, Southern University, Troy, Tulane, UAB, USC, UT Martin, and also interest in Florida State, Nebraska, uh, and Ole Miss. And uh, the fact that Ole Miss didn't offer is good enough for me. Uh, 247 Sports composite ranking of 88.75. He is currently ranked as the number eight player in the state of Mississippi. And let's take a quick look at the uh, Mississippi rankings as they stand today. Everybody in the top ten, I guess you could go even further. I guess we go a little deeper here. Really, top 20, top 25? Yeah, top 25 players. All to, Only two of the top 25 players and only three of the top 30 remain undeclared. Mississippi State's doing pretty well in state. And, uh, of course, a, a big, big, big name still out there, the number four player in the state, Isaac Smith. I submit to you my personal opinion. I have Isaac Smith number two behind Gid Perkins from Raleigh, who I think is phenomenal. But as it stands today, Mississippi State is one of the top five. However, five of the top ten players in the state of Mississippi. Now, Kayla Bryant, of course, uh, gives State, I guess in many respects, the, uh, the in-state recruiting title. And the reality of it is, is State has got to do well in-state. That is the reality of life when you're at Mississippi State. It's not a great year in-state. It's a good year in-state. Again, not a great year. But you still need to clean up the green. Of course, uh, Mississippi State also uh, you know, hanging on to Kelly Jones, it appears. Kelly Jones, a guy that I have been a fan of since the very beginning of this process. I watched his tape, and I'm like, does he have great issues? Because he should have a handful of Power 5 offers. He didn't. State committed him, and people were like, well, I don't know. And then Ole Miss committed, and you're like, oh, we can't lose him to Ole Miss. You know, it's funny how that works. But, uh, you know, State currently with, what, 11 commitments now, or 12 commitments uh, from in-state prospects, now adding um, Bryant to the list. And, of course, you pick up Kamari Rogers and Radar Jones out of Holmes County Central and Horn Lake, respectively. So this is a – a very, 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 very state-centric class, as it should be. Yeah, I guess a dozen of the uh, 23 commitments now hail from uh, Mississippi high schools. I'm excited about the class. I don't know that we have the headliners in-state, perhaps, that we've had in recent years, and there wasn't a ton of offensive skill. And state has addressed that by going out of state to fill uh, most of their wide receiver needs, of course, you know, you get Creed uh, Whittemore from Gainesville, Florida. Of course, Chris Parson, the quarterback from Brentwood, Tennessee, who has remained a leader uh, throughout this difficult week that we've had. There's Justin Brown out of Blackman High School in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He's a guy that could potentially be a four-star in the final thing. Seth Davis recently elevated in the rankings, but a composite of 87.86. His, his issue has always been size. He is an explosive player. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. Uh, but he's not the biggest kid. And so – you kind of look at that and you begin to kind of wonder you know, how that will all kind of come together. But uh, Nakai Poole, wide receiver out of Norcross, Georgia, had several offers 
I don't know that his ranking is really commiserate with his ability either. Jacoby Belazar is a product of Baton Rouge by way of Southwest Mississippi Community College. Uh, took an official visit to state here a couple weekends ago. But, uh, you know, again, you had to go work out of state to kind of supplement where the in-state talent pool may be a little, uh, a little shallow. So let's take a look at who the potential additions could be. I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, I think it could be an eventful week. And I don't know if people announce until Friday, or excuse me, Wednesday. I think there may be some players that don't really verbally commit. They'll just sign on National Signing Day. A name to really watch is Southwest Mississippi Community College defensive lineman Eric Taylor. Eric Taylor is out of Trustville, Alabama, also by way of Southwest Mississippi Community College. Who expected that, that Southwest uh, would certainly be a pipeline for stay? But out of high school, a four-star prospect was Eric Taylor. Signed with LSU, picked the Tigers over Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, and many, many others. Had over two dozen offers. Now, this go-around, things have been a little bit different. He still had uh, some opportunities, uh, for sure, right around double-digit offers. But, uh, you know, Florida State was a school that uh, was expected to be a real contender. Florida got involved with them late, wasn't able to get him to campus. But uh, Eric Taylor, 6'6", 290-pound defensive lineman, a really, really physical player. And this is, again, this is making the junior college system work for you. And that used to kind of be – you know, the way you went about things before the portal became a real thing. Because, you know, in many respects, the portal has kind of killed junior college recruiting. If you can go get a player with one or two years of experience on the FBS level, you're more likely to go get those guys than the junior college players. And I, I hear that from junior college coaches all over the state. It's been a lot more difficult to get looks for their guys because of the fact there's always this acclimation process, right? Sometimes it takes those guys half a year, in some cases a full year, to be ready to play on a Power 5 level, whereas you get a guy at the portal that is a little bit closer. You know, the trajectory of their career may be a little um, more on pace with what you want than a junior college guy. Now, you get these JUCO bounce backs, and sometimes uh, those guys also don't have quite as steep a learning curve, and that's the hope with Eric Taylor. He's a guy that's still got three years of eligibility left. So you feel like that you've really got something here. Uh, I like to get, and again, I don't know if he announces before Wednesday, but at this point today, I feel like Mississippi State is in a very good position with him. All right, Isaac Smith, we have talked about him extensively on the show. In my estimation, he is the best defensive player in the state of Mississippi. I think he is a future NFL player. I've shared that with you guys many times. In the early stages of his recruitment, everybody expected him, including your good friend and host, to be an Ole Miss Rebel. Ole Miss uh, does not appear to be a factor. Of course, on the Ole Miss side of things, they're saying they don't have room for him. I don't believe that. I don't think there's any way you pass on a player of his availability and his athleticism within your home state. You know, so it's just kind of like uh, you know the guy that the girl didn't want to date. Him. Oh well, you know, I don't like her anyway. You know, well, you liked her before, so she wouldn't go out with you. I think this is a similar situation. But uh, Isaac Smith has been on the Mississippi State campus, I think, nine or ten times since things uh, opened up back in June. He came to a uh, seven-on-seven camp uh, with his team and uh, has spent a lot of time, went to just about every home game this year, has come some other weekends and hung out with some friends of his uh, there from Fulton, Mississippi, that are students at Mississippi State. So there is a comfort level with everything Mississippi State has to offer. It does appear to be down between Mississippi State and LSU. Now, he took an official visit to LSU over the weekend. Now, I was told on Friday 
that Mississippi State was the leader heading into the weekend. And one of the biggest drawing cards, another bit of this, is the distance from home. It's five hours from Starkville to Baton Rouge. And so you add on, you know, maybe another hour and 10 minutes, you're talking over six hours to get down to, uh, to, to Baton Rouge from Fulton, Mississippi. And that's a factor. And I don't care who you are or where you're from. You grow up in small-town Mississippi. You know, it, a lot of times anything, you know, north or south of Jackson, depending on where you grow up, feels like a foreign country. Uh, so I think that's a factor. I think the comfortability uh, with the Mississippi State coaching staff and the fact that Tony Hughes – and the Bulldog defensive staff, including Zach Arnett, have recruited him as a priority throughout this process. I crystal balled him to state some time ago. I still stand by that prediction. Uh, nothing. I haven't heard nothing to change my mind about this. I may, be, I may be completely wrong in the end. I may get surprised. I may. But I'm not expecting that. I would tell you otherwise. I think, I think Isaac Smith fits Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State fits him. And it's interesting. You know, I've seen a couple of picks here as of late. Where uh, David Johnson from the uh, Ole Miss Insider has picked LSU. And I think in many respects he was piggybacking off of uh, Steve Wolfong's prediction. Steve Wolfong from the National Desk way back November the 3rd picked LSU. And then Sonny Ship from uh, Go247 also picked LSU way back uh, December the 6th. Uh, I picked Mississippi State July the 30th. And of the picks, I had the highest level of confidence. So while I'm on the phone with you guys right now, I'm going to go ahead and, and upgrade my level of confidence on Isaac Smith. I was a seven. I'm going to go to a nine. How about that? We're going to go ahead and go to a nine here uh, just because that's how I feel. I think that is the right course of action. I think Isaac Smith is going to be a bulldog, and I think it's important to kind of understand that Isaac Smith could be a difference maker and State is losing three safeties, could potentially lose all three safeties. Uh, not sure what Colin Duncan's going to do just yet, but you know Jackie Matthews is going to enter the NFL draft. He will play in the bowl game. Of course, uh, Jalen Green uh, graduating, you know, moving forward with his life. But as it stands today, I'm the Lone Ranger of the four picking Mississippi State. I do expect Paul Jones to follow my lead here. And uh, there sometimes Paul beats me to the punch on uh, – on these crystal ball things, and sometimes I forget about them. But uh, I do feel confident that Isaac Smith is going to pick Mississippi State. So we're going to go to nine here. I just saved it. So that will reflect now uh, on, um, on his 247 sports profile. Now, one of the things that I think is important to understand, too, I think a lot of times, and I mean this as nicely as I can, I think there are some people out there that just assume that Mississippi State could not win a recruiting battle against the Blue Blood. And in some cases, that's correct. But every situation is a little bit different. I think sometimes, well, LSU's involved. LSU wants them. LSU's got to get them. Reality of it is, is I've never met a recruit that the LSU media didn't think they were going to get. And so, again, I think there's also, uh, you know, Dave, I think Dave Johnson's a great guy, but I think some of this too is I think it's like, well, you don't want the fear of him going to Mississippi State, you know, and I think sometimes people make these predictions trying to kind of will things. But I think at this point, and, of course, uh, we'll see what happens. I, I, may, I may change my mind tomorrow. I may find out that he is going to go to LSU. Of course, they had the official visit this weekend. Could be a situation where they get a big bump from the recruiting weekend. That's always a possibility. It is a very, very, very fluid process. So we'll see how things go. But as of today, and again, I may feel differently tomorrow, I feel very confident in where Mississippi State stands with Isaac Smith. 
I do have been, excuse me, I have been told that uh, he is ready for this process to be over. It's been a difficult situation. And I get it. There's a lot of people in your ear, a lot of people telling you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. There's a lot of people that don't have any vested interest in the outcome, just want you to go play for their favorite school. All right, another name of interest is Xavion Miller, also from Southwest Mississippi Community College. If, if you thought beginning of this year that State would offer three players from Southwest, you have won Bulldog recruiting bingo. Xavion Miller was a former Ole Miss commitment. He decommitted from Ole Miss today. Now, Thornton, the former offensive line coach at Ole Miss, that was the connection between Miller and the Rebels, and he is now at Auburn. Now, Auburn hosted him this past weekend on a visit. If I had to call it today and I haven't put a pick in, I think it would be Auburn just because of the personal relationship. I think that is something to consider. Now, would Mississippi State take him? They absolutely would take him. That's something we're just kind of working through here. You know, still got 48 hours to kind of figure this thing out. But Mississippi State still in the mix with him. And as I shared last week, the only certainty in Xavion Miller's recruitment is that he wouldn't sign with Ole Miss. Again, and that's not a shot at Ole Miss. It's just, you know, recruiting is about relationships. And when the most significant relationship leaves your school for another, it's cause for concern, especially when that's the reason you got him in the first place. And so I think for the same reasons, Auburn fans should probably feel you know, pretty good kind of about where they stand with him. You know, again, we'll see how things progress. A lot can change here in the final you know, 48 hours, but I think that's a guy right there you look at and you say, you know what, this guy can really play. Uh, getting his pick between uh, a handful of SEC West schools. And then we'll see how things kind of go. Uh, but I do like his game. You know, 6'5", 320. He is a tackle prospect. Uh, would have the ability to come in, of course, in our offense and play guard or tackle. But uh, I understand Auburn is having to replace both of their starting tackles. And so there's an opportunity right there, right out of the gate to play. You know, Cam Jones, of course, Mississippi State's uh, very talented Swiss, Swiss Army knife offensive lineman, uh, will not play in the bowl game. He has uh, suffered a season-ending injury, and they'll be careful with him in the spring. And so Miller obviously has an opportunity to come in, and Cam's a guy, too, that can play guard. And then that left tackle spot, you know, there's still some competition there. Nick Jones has played at some. Dollar Bill has played at some. You know, and you're going to have to replace LeQuentin Sharp, so all of a sudden Stephen Lasoya slides in there. That could open up a bit of a game of musical chairs there. Let's say Miller comes in and wins that left tackle spot, then you slide Nick Jones back into left guard, or you do something with Dollar Bill. And so – uh, again, State returning four starters on the offensive line. And so I could see why a transfer guy or a junior college guy would say, you know what, the opportunity to play may be greater somewhere else. They have two tackle spots open at Auburn. You have one offensive line spot here at uh, Mississippi State. And that's, I'm sure that's something that Coach Thornton at Auburn is pointing out to them. So, again, if, if I had to call it today, which I'm not going to, I would probably uh, favor Auburn. Now, we had some visitors – Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, Boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. 
And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Over the weekend, which is always exciting. Uh, Gabe Moore, of course, from Louisville High School came. I'm a big fan of Gabe Moore. A lot of people ask me who he compares to, and I don't really know, to be quite honest with you. I mean, Jaden Cromedy is a, probably a pretty good comp because they have a similar body style, even though I think Gabe is a little more high-waisted than Cromedy is. He's got longer legs. He is a, uh, a knee bender rather than a waist bender. He is very explosive. He has great length. He's already 6'4", 250 pounds. And he is a guy, once he gets in a college weight room, will probably be 290, but he has the frame to really carry it without hurting his athleticism or dexterity. And so I do think that he's a guy that could potentially be a five-tech. I don't know that he grows into a three or even a nose. I think he kind of follows that same career path position-wise as Jaden Crumity. And I think that he is comparable in ability. I don't care what his ranking says. I don't care what his offer sheet looks like. If you watch Gabe Moore's film, you're just kind of holding your breath, hoping you can get to Wednesday and somebody else not coming late. I think it is too late. I think Gabe is uh, you know, a guy, obviously, that uh, very familiar with the situation at Mississippi State. He is Charles Moore's younger brother. Uh, Charles back in Louisville now, and I'm sure that played a factor in things. I mean, I really believe Charles Moore, if he had come on to Mississippi State, we probably would be singing a little bit of a different tune. I think Charles Moore is a guy that uh, you know played the recruiting game a little bit, went to Auburn, went to Oregon State, went to junior college, and uh, never completed his college career. But um, you know there are a lot of times you know young people get out there and people get in their ear and they think, okay, this is the way to go. And I think in many respects, you know Charles' circuitous journey through college football may have played a factor with Gabe. You know, it's like, hey, well, I'll just, I'm just going to go down the road 30 minutes and play in the Southeastern Conference. And my family can come and watch me play whenever they want to. Uh, but, again, I'm a Gabe Moore fan. And, again, I don't, I don't care what his ranking looks like. I don't care what anybody says. I have watched enough film in 25 years to know an SEC player when I see one. And I think Gabriel Moore will be a star at Mississippi State. I think Gabe Moore has the potential to be an NFL player uh, by the time he's done. If he comes in and works hard, he's going to be great. I have no doubt about that. I really, really think Gabe Moore has a huge, huge ceiling. Uh, Creed Whittemore was in this weekend for a second official visit. Of course, uh, you can do that 
because there has officially been a coaching change at Mississippi State. Uh, his older brother, Trent, former Florida Gator, who's in the portal, uh, also made the trip. Not exactly sure how that's going to work out. You know, and to be honest with you, I don't think that State takes a portal receiver right now. I suspect what they'll do because they have time. Because the transfer portal guys don't have to sign a national letter of intent this week. Of course, they could go ahead and sign their you know, financial documents, but there is no national letter of intent. And I suspect eventually you will see that change. You know, as the portal is dynamic and people kind of move forward with all this stuff, I think that you're going to see that become part of this process. But for now, there is nothing to sign that is binding uh, for a transfer. They just simply enroll. And so there is no emergent need to get a wide receiver or any really transfer portal guy committed at this point. Uh, Gunnar Britton's a guy, too, that uh, out of Western Kentucky, an offensive lineman at State has brought in on an official visit. Things appear to be trending well. Uh, he's on a bowl trip right now, and so you're kind of going to let him finish that up, and then uh, he'll make a decision. But, again, he doesn't have to make it this week. I mean, because even if a guy commits, there is nothing to keep him from being recruited until the day that he enrolls. So it's important to understand that. And so I suspect what you're going to see, because portal guys can, can visit the first weekend in January, that you're going to see some probably a tabling of the portal prospects until – that first weekend. And then those guys can visit. They begin to make preparations to transfer in uh, and be a part of things at Mississippi State. So understand that kind of heading into Wednesday. If you don't see a transfer guy, quote, sign, the reason is is because they don't sign. The university, once they are enrolled and cleared for admission, will make a formal announcement. Of course, us over at Gene's page, between Paul and I, we will uh, keep you updated on all that stuff. But Uh, It's important to understand you probably won't see a commitment from a portal wide receiver this week. That could change, but I'm not expecting that uh, to take place uh, this week. But uh, as it stands today, Mississippi State now with the 29th uh, highest rated recruiting class in the country. And you start kind of playing with the numbers here a little bit, and you think about, you know, you add Isaac Smith, uh, you add Eric Taylor, you know, you've got a chance to get somewhere around 25. I thought all year it was going to be difficult for us to get in the top 25 because we don't have a lot of star power in state. But I think you could be somewhere around 25. And I think all things considered, that's pretty good, especially when you consider the talent of the skill guys that we went and got out of state. I mean, how often do you see state go out of state and get two four-star skill guys? This doesn't happen very often. Creed Woodmore, the highest-rated player in the class, with a 90.06 ranking, and Chris Parson, 89.38. You feel good about those guys, but it says a lot about the staff's ability and willingness to get out there and go fight in the streets and get some recruits. And then outside of that, I think when you look, you know, Bryce Pollock is a guy, too, that's nearly a four-star. I mean, Bryce Pollock, uh, cornerback prospect we've talked about here on the show uh, recently, that kid can really play. He can absolutely play. And then you add Luke Evans, a cornerback, former Cincinnati commitment from Chaminade, Madonna Prep in Hollywood, Florida. His dad, Percy Evans, played for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And so he was committed to Cincinnati, and then they made the coaching change. They began to kind of look at uh, some other options. But uh, State has done well out of state, especially with offensive skill, and you needed to this year. But I think this class will fit the needs. Is it a great class? I don't think so, but it is a good class potentially a really good class depending on how things close and uh, of course when we get together again on Wednesday and, and kind of a programming note there too I will record Wednesday's show Wednesday night after the dust has settled and I've reached my traveling destination I'll record 
the signing day extravaganza show Wednesday night. I will be on the road I, I, that morning. I, I will spend the night tomorrow night somewhere west of Oklahoma City. And then from my hotel room, I'll help Paul cover uh, signing day. Not that he needs a lot of assistance, but I'll be there to answer questions and things like that and then get on the road uh, to finish up the drive to New Mexico. And then Wednesday night, once I get settled and kind of get something to eat, we'll have a show. So maybe you listen to that on Thursday. But uh, I'll kind of break it on down. What happened, who we got, who we didn't get, who we needed to get, and what kind of remains as we push forward in February. I don't think there's going to be a lot. But other than the transfer portal guys, that you're kind of sweating out. Now, Joe Crocker, an offensive line prospect uh, out of uh, Metro Nashville, is not completely certain that he is going to sign on Wednesday. That was the plan all along. However, with the, the changing of the coaches here at Mississippi State, and it's not about other schools. He's not even really talking to anybody else. And he tweeted out yesterday you know, a series of Mississippi State pictures of him in a Bulldog uniform saying that Mississippi State's home. I don't expect him to sign on Wednesday. He could. But there's a potential that he doesn't. And primarily that centers around Mason Miller. He has a great relationship with Mississippi State offensive line coach Mason Miller. And so he's concerned. Okay, is Mason Miller still the dude? And so I think prospects sometimes, too, don't realize, too, that they could potentially be putting their standing, uh, you know, in somewhat in jeopardy, right? If, if you play the game a little bit, they may find somebody else uh, – you know, let's say that Xavier Miller decides to come to state and Gunnar Britton decides to come to state, well, then do you, do you want to take another offensive lineman? I mean, so that's the risk you run. There is a business here involved in many respects, and there are needs that have to be met. And so, But that's the only guy right now. And I think, again, that speaks well of the relationships that your, your staff has built with recruits this year. I think it says a lot about Chris Parson, who is the quarterback in this class and also kind of the de facto leader. Chris uh, shared with uh, other recruits that we were the last class that Mike Leach ever wanted to be part of his program. We should wear that like a badge of honor. The kid's special. He really is. And the fact that he has helped hold this class together, I think not only bodes well for the future, but says a lot about the bonds that he has built with his future teammates. That's the guy you want. That guy's got some Dak uh, Prescott-type leadership qualities. So excited about the class, and we'll see how it, it ends up. And, again, next time we're together, we'll know. The dust will have settled and we'll know who all has signed with Mississippi State. And I'll tell you, it'd be so nice to get into Wednesday and get in and out of Wednesday without any drama or any surprises of the negative variety. And you never know. You always hold your breath. And this time of year, it's like before, you know, you feel like you had time to kind of figure things out. Well, you don't have time anymore because once people get through Friday and they sign that national letter of intent, things are official. And you say, well, there's always a portal. Well, I'd rather them be here, right? That's the reality of life. But uh, – that's how things look today with your recruiting class. And, uh, again, expecting some new additions here in the next 48 hours uh, before we uh, announce the final signing class. And I will not be at the uh, press conference on Wednesday. Paul Jones, uh, Dave Murray, Mike Nemeth, they'll all be there uh, kind of covering for me. So if you want to find video of that, we'll have that for you. But also we'll have a full transcript over at jeanspage.com. If you're not a member, you certainly should be. But a record number of members right now. We had, we'd set a record back in November. We have surpassed that substantially uh, here in the last couple of weeks. And so all the cool kids are doing it. Uh, come be with us. And perhaps uh, you've got a friend, a huge Bulldog fan in your family, and you're thinking, you know, what can I buy the Bulldog fan that has everything? Well, if they're not a member of jeanspage.com, how about an annual subscription to jeanspage? That'd be a great uh, birthday gift for sure. Or Christmas gift for that matter. Or birthday. Or Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. If you want to buy a gift for somebody, give the gift of jeanspage.com. 
All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is in the magic business. That's right. Blair can turn your house into a home. He can turn your renting situation into a home ownership situation. That's what he's a professional at. 21 years of experience in the industry. Works at Fairway Mortgage, one of the most reputable mortgage lenders in the, in the country. Blair is in the top 1% close ratio in America, not just in Issaquina County. There are a lot of people out there vying for your business. Blair Chandler is willing to kind of put his money where his mouth is. If you reach out to Blair at his phone number, 601-500-2344, call or text him direct. If you mention to him you heard about him on the barnyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Mention it to him uh, in an email, smoke signals, carrier pigeon, whatever. But this guy wants your business. And you deserve to have a mortgage professional kind of fighting for you. What's more important than that? I mean, you begin to think about, okay, my personal salvation, uh, my marriage, my family, and then my home, right? Right? And so this is an important undertaking. So you need to deal with a professional. You need to deal with somebody who has been there and done that and can be your advocate with underwriting. Perhaps you're a non-conforming borrower with an atypical property. You need somebody that has been through the wars with underwriting. And that's Blair Chandler. Again, that's CloseWithBlair.com. We appreciate his uh, contributions to our show and what we do here. But you're doing yourself a favor. Don't put something this important in the hands of a fly-by-night operation. Deal with a mortgage professional. And that is Blair Chandler, 601-500-2344. All right, I had a lot of suggestions for what we should do today on the top 10 list. I called an audible. Of course, tomorrow is uh, Mike Leach's uh, memorial service. It's going to be difficult. It is. Now, I understand there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of dignitaries that are coming, a lot of people that have been instrumental in Mike Leach's life, some of his close friends, and that's good to see. It really is. And I understand it will be streamed on the SEC Network or broadcast on the SEC Network and the ESPN app. You better watch that. Many of you will be here. I am leaving immediately after that uh, to begin my trip, and they're there's, trust me, there's a part of me I wish I could just leave right now. But I need to be there for that memorial and say goodbye to my friend. And, uh, and we need to be there for each other. Sometimes that gets lost. You know, that no man or woman is an island. And it's like you tell yourself, things are okay, things are okay. Sometimes things are not okay. And sometimes you need a minute. And sometimes you need a hug. And sometimes you need to know that somebody else is feeling exactly the way you are. And you don't feel so alone in your grief and your sadness. Life is tough. It is. It's tough. This is a tough moment. And so I came up with the top 10 songs for saying goodbye. And I have a personal connection to just about all of these. And so I'm going to tell you that. And I'm going to tell you the story behind it. I'm a big music guy, as you know. And a lot of times when people pass away, I always have a song that reminds me of them, reminds me of their passing. And when I miss them, I put it on. And it, and it heals me. It soothes me. Just missing the list. And I did tweet this out. Your one honorable mention for today is Give Heaven Some Hell by our friend Hardy. Michael Hardy, a proud Mississippian, a proud bulldog, and uh, wrote a very emotional song that uh, a lot of people have played at funerals. So I wanted to give a hat tip to our buddy, our fellow bulldog, Hardy, today. And uh, if you haven't heard the new album, Mockingbird and the Crow, it's incredible. It shows the rock side and the countryside. They're even playing some Hardy on Octane. How about that? All right, so here are my top ten songs for saying goodbye. 
We'll make it through it, okay? Number 10, this is a song that means an awful lot to me because I was young in recovery. I remember where I was when I read the story. It was in Rowan Stone. Uh, it's Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven is number 10. And uh, I've talked about this on the show, but uh, Eric Clapton's young son, Connor, was like three years old, and he fell off a balcony and plunged to his death. I mean, what could be worse than that? And Eric is one of the first people on the scene, so he saw that heartbreaking uh, situation. And he wrote the song Tears in Heaven in honor of his son. And I remember thinking then, that they, they, the interviewer asked him, said, well, what did you do? How did you stay sober? He said, I went to meetings. I called my sponsor. I depended on my family. And I didn't drink. And I thought then, I said, you know what? If he can survive that without drinking, I don't have any excuse. I can come up with a bunch of excuses, but I don't have a valid reason to ever drink. When Eric Clapton was able to remain sober through that harrowing situation. Number nine, this is a song too. I remember where I was too. I was on my way to, uh, my dad would, he was really sick. And uh, I kept hearing this band called Shinedown on Sirius XM Octane. Back then we were just Sirius before we merged with XM. But the song is Burning Bright off of the uh, Leave a Whisper album. And uh, the song meant so much to me. It was like, it was very emotional. And I stopped at the mall in Macomb on my way to Jackson. And I went in and bought this CD. It went back when you could buy CDs in malls when we had uh, record stores. And uh, I listened to it the rest of the way to Jackson. And so anytime that I, I hear this song, I think about those moments when I was preparing to have to say goodbye to my dad. And uh, I, I've seen Shine Down several times, and uh, they, they don't play this as much live as they used to. But uh, Brent says that he wrote it about his grandmother. And he always asks everybody to turn on their, their camera phones, the lights on their camera phones. He said, let's, let's see if we can uh, let, make her see us. And so Shine Down, Burning Bright, number nine. Number eight, one of perhaps one of the most emotional songs about losing somebody in the history of mankind. It's Mariah Carey and Boys to Men with Some Sweet Day. Because I do believe at some point that we will be reunited with our loved ones on the other side, you know, provided, you know, their personal relationship is what it needs to be. Right. And that we won't get too deep in all that, but, uh, I am a firm believer that we will see people again. I, I do. I, I do believe in the next dimension. I don't believe that, uh, that life ends at death. I think it's just, you simply transition to the next phase, but this is a song too that uh, I think is one of those songs you listen to, and if it doesn't if it doesn't get to you a little bit, you might want to set an appointment with somebody. All right, number seven, a little bit of a different song too. It's uh, Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth, "See You Again." And uh, at the time when that came out, I, I don't, I didn't have a loss, but because this song is so emotional, it makes you remember those people that maybe you've lost in the past. And of course, it was part of the Fast and the Furious 7. And um, unfortunately, that family suffered a big loss from the time that, that song came out. But um, it is a very, very good song. I'm a Wiz Khalifa fan, maybe not as big as many of you, but uh, it's still black and yellow for me. Uh, but um, I'm a Steelers guy. But this is a very good song. I think Charlie Puth does an amazing job on this, singing the uh, using his falsetto and singing the harmony. Uh, number six, a one that's a little bit darker. It was covered by Johnny Cash, but it's Nine Inch Nails at number six with the song Hurt. And it's just one of those things, you know, you get mired in depression. And, and uh, you know, the, the thing about life is it's so easy when you're living on the pink cloud, right? When everything is going your way, and then every so often life kind of reminds you you're not in charge. 
And that's tough. How do we handle adversity then? How do we handle life when we aren't getting our way? And this song is kind of like that. It's heard from Nine Inch Nails. Okay, so we're about to do a trio of Alter Bridge songs. Many of you know Alter Bridge is one of my favorite bands. And uh, every one of these songs is a very special song to me because it is a song that uh, I listened to as I grieved for people that were very close to me. And uh, Miles Kennedy, in my estimation, is the greatest rock vocalist alive today, period. I think the way he uses his low register, I think the fact that he can hit the big notes and he sings with such authenticity, I would put him up against anybody. I could probably put together a top 10 list of my uh, top 10 current rock singers, and Miles Kennedy would be number one. Number five, so my mother-in-law, Pat Hill, uh, was not just my mother-in-law, she was my friend. And uh, I used to say that, that even if, if I had not married her daughter, I would want her to be my friend. She was a very interesting person. Uh, she grew up with next to nothing. She got married. She uh, married uh, my wife's father, obviously, and he believed in her and made her want a better life. And in many respects, my wife did the same thing for me. But her dream, uh, Pat's dream, was to one day be a published writer. And every year she would go to the Iowa's Writer Conference as like a gift to herself. And she would sit and journal and things like that. And she wrote a ton of short stories. And maybe at some point I'll publish those for our family just so everybody has that uh, to kind of commemorate her talent. And uh, when, if you've read Flim Flam, Flim Flam is dedicated to her memory and the memory of my dad. And uh, I absolutely love Pat. We had a lot of uh, conversations on the road. She would travel with me when we'd take family trips. And uh, my wife doesn't travel real well. She sleeps, but uh, Pat was a... Uh, was a road dog like me, and we, we talked a lot. And uh, she was an amazing woman, and uh, I'm so incredibly fortunate to have married her daughter and to have a chance to get to know her. And right before, when she was getting really sick, the song Wonderful Life from Alta Bridge just kind of came to memory. And uh, I remember thinking, you know, how she outgrew her upbringing. You know, she became this very confident person. And, and listen, the last few years of her life were not exactly the best, right? But uh, Pat was an amazing person that believed in me and was so supportive of me. And I remember being in college. Believe it or not, I had, to, I had interest in getting a book published of poetry when I was in college. I had a company contacted me. I made some submissions to them, and they were willing to do a book of poetry. I just didn't have the time to do it. And she was so incredibly excited about that. And then when I was writing, uh, you know, beginning the opening stages to write Flim Flam, there was nobody happier for me than Pat Hill. And so Alter Bridge's Wonderful Life is the song that I always think of uh, when I think of her. Uh, number four on the list, another Alter Bridge song. So many of you know this too. When I was a kid, like my parents broke up and, and I lived with my grandparents until I was eight years old. And that's what you do. You know, I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have a choice in the matter. But my grandmother, uh, to this day, the strongest woman I have ever known, without a doubt. And uh, I've told my wife recently, she's number two, only to my memo Selman. And uh, I often think sometimes if times had been different, uh, Margaret Jo Selman, and everybody called her Mama Jo, that she could have been a game changer. You know what I'm saying? Because back, you know, she got married when she was 16 and then started having kids and being a mama. But she was the person in our family. She was the driving force in our family without a question. It didn't matter what happened in life. It didn't matter what went on. I mean, she was one of these strong Southern women that was going to do what was right for her family. It didn't matter what it was. I remember a time, and I may have shared this story with you, 
My grandfather was a minister and a carpenter at times. When we needed money, he would go work at Ingalls Shipyard. Because back in those days, you know, if you just needed to go pick up a shift, you were an able-bodied man, they'd let you come work. And so he went down there and worked a week or so, and he was on his way back, and the car broke down, and he had to use the money that he had made to get our car repaired. And rather than cry about it and feel sorry for ourselves, my grandmother got on the phone and called the little hamburger place next door to us. Sometimes she would go work and help with the lunch rush. And she went down there and she worked, made a little extra money, and brought home a sack full of hamburgers and hot dogs for us. That's what she did. I mean, you know, she was that kind of person. She, could, she was magic. Whatever needed to be done, she was done. And so the Alter Bridge song in loving memory uh, is, for, is for her. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I went to go see her for the final time, she had Alzheimer's, she was in a nursing home, and everybody told me, they said, Steve, be prepared. She's not going to know who you are. She's not going to know. And so you, you, you go in there and you expect that, right? And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden she's looking at me and she gets this look of recognition on her face. And I said, Memo, do you know me? And she said, you're Stephen. And that's one of God's greatest gifts to me. That in her final days, she remembered me. And I remember when we went to her funeral, how heartbroken my grandfather was. And he just wanted to get up in the coffin with her. And uh, he lived a few more years, but I'll tell you, he was so ready to go and be with her again. And so I like, actually like to listen to the, uh, the live version of this from Wembley because there's all the, the crowd sings along. It's a very emotional. So if you've never done that, go to listen Alter Bridge and Loving Memory live. And uh, I'm telling you, no matter who you've lost in life, when you hear that song, you will react emotionally. Number three, another Alter Bridge song, it's Blackbird, which is my favorite Alter Bridge album. And that song uh, is about my dad in my estimation. The, uh, the very first tattoo that I got that I couldn't conceal was uh, a, the, the Blackbird from the Alter Bridge album uh, on my right arm. And uh, it was kind of a defining moment for me. I said, you know what, I'm not going to pretend to be who I'm not. I'm not going to hide things. And so that is for my dad. That's who he's always with me in many respects. But, um, you know, that song is a very haunting guitar part to it. And uh, Miles wrote that about a friend of his that gave him his first guitar and that he passed away prematurely. But uh, it is a very, very emotional song. There are a lot of people that, um, that use that song to get, you know, some measure of relief. Number two. In many respects, and I think you could make an argument, this may be one of the songs that fits the Mike Leach passing better than any other because we were all so um, blindsided by this. It'd be one thing, you know, if somebody gets sick and you kind of have a chance to kind of make your peace with it and then all of a sudden there's this and, and the most disappointing part of it is like everybody told me on Saturday, like he was back to his normal self, he was laughing and joking, holding court and then... Less than 24 hours, he's gone. Just amazing. But it's James Taylor's Fire and Rain. And it's, I listened to it before I did the show. And it's just, it, it'll make you a mess if you let it. But I think sometimes you need to feel those feelings. You need to deal with those emotions. And maybe it's just me. But it doesn't matter if I'm riding down the road. And it doesn't matter if I'm happy or sad or angry or whatever. That's one thing recovery has taught me is don't suppress those emotions. It's, it's part of the human condition. And there are times that I'll hear a song and... Uh, you know, that makes me think about how much I love my wife, and I put it on repeat, you know, because it, it helps the moment, right? And there are some of these songs, too, that I feel the same way about. Whether I'm sad, I think it's important to feel that. That's part of being human, is to feel the emotions of the human experience. And so James Taylor's Fire and Rain, number two today. But number one, 
I didn't go with the original. You know, I usually have a policy about no covers, but uh, I think this may be one of the greatest covers of all time. And uh, it's one of those things, too, that, you know, I know that uh, Coach liked Bob Dylan a little bit, but I'm more of a rocker than Coach, so we're going to go Guns and Roses knocking on heaven's door. And uh, my hope is, is when Coach got there, and I love Marshall Ramsey's cartoon where Coach is asking a million questions. Uh, my hope is, is when Coach got there, they let him use the escalator, you know, because he certainly has earned it. And so that's my list of uh, top ten songs set to say goodbye to Coach Leach or really anybody else in your life. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. It's like we get so caught up sometimes. Sometimes I don't think we realize how the loss of certain people kind of shape us, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe shape the course of our lives or whatever. And so I think it's important to honor their memory by acknowledging their loss. And uh, I know Mike Leach would not want us all to, to allow this to linger. He would want us to kind of move forward and live our lives. And I've shared that with you a couple of times that the number one way to honor coach's memory is to go out and live your life and live wide open lead an extraordinary life. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let us know. The best way to do that is hit up Roy on Twitter at dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find our great list on Spotify. I encourage you to follow along. That way you won't have to go search for these lists. I've had many people tell me, Steve, I travel for business and I get tired of listening to the same old stuff. And so I listen to these, these, uh, these lists. And I've learned a lot about new bands and I've reconnected with some songs perhaps I forgot about. So we're happy to provide that service to you free of charge. Check it out today. Thanks so much for your support of the Boneyard and the Top Ten List. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Go by and see their smiling faces next time you're in town and you can peruse their fine selections of Mississippi State merchandise, the best selection. And the known universe, many people make that claim, they back it up. The bully shop has been completely renovated. Everything is on the first floor now. No longer in the textbook business that's enabled them to expand their selection. You simply won't find a better selection of Mississippi State merchandise. If you can't make it to town, you can uh, peruse their fine selections online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, recruiting-wise, let's get back to a couple things. I touched on some of this, but let's look. We talk about this class being 29th in the country. All right, so let's take a quick look at the class calculator. I'd say a nice little feature that we have at 247 Sports if you add certain players, Mississippi State, you know, projected now with a point total of 220, 220.8. So if we add Isaac Smith, and we'll do that right now, Isaac Smith, we'll calculate him in. Well, all of a sudden that takes you to 226.82. You say, okay, well, what is, well, Steve, where would that put us? Well, just with Isaac Smith, if I can get this, uh, this link to work here, it's funny how it all works. It's like this one, you need something to work. It doesn't work. All right, but 226 would, um, would get State healthily into the top 25, probably right at 21, just with Isaac Smith alone. And so let's say we add Eric Taylor, who has not been uh, ranked just yet. I think his final ranking will probably be, you know, solid – three-star, maybe 88, something like that. Uh, you wouldn't get much bang for your buck initially, but I think when it's all said and done, 
you'd probably feel pretty good about that. But there is a shot to finish somewhere around 25, as we mentioned. So what, what does that mean as it stands today in the Southeastern Conference? That's important to understand, too. We talk about the overall ranking of being you know, 29, potentially being in the uh, in right around 25, because other people are going to add uh, commitments too. State right now 11th in the Southeastern Conference, just narrowly behind Ole Miss, who is 10th. And some would say, "Yeah, but Steve, Ole Miss has got all these four stars." Well, Ole Miss's philosophy is much different. They're going to really work the portal hard. They've had some success with that. Uh, maybe not the success that many people anticipated, but it's still too early. To, you just on one year of data to say that's the right way or wrong way to do things. But Vanderbilt, 14th in the conference. I don't think there's a lot of upper mobility with them there. I think they'll probably remain 14th. Kentucky, 13th in the conference. Missouri is 12th, and then Mississippi State, Ole Miss right there together. Auburn is 9th. I don't think State can – Auburn also is a team we expect to be very, very heavy in the portal here in the final weeks of this process. Arkansas is eight. They have 23 commitments. State could conceivably catch them. I, I don't expect it, though. And there's South Carolina with 22 commitments, seventh in the conference. Texas A&M is six. Remember last year Texas A&M re- recorded one of the best recruiting classes of all time, only to see many of those players go into the portal this year. A lot of discussion about NIL promises and things like that. You know, Florida is fifth, Tennessee fourth, LSU third, Georgia second, Alabama one. And again, people are saying, oh, Alabama could have the best recruiting class of all time. My honest opinion about that is uh, that's a pretty easy prediction to make because I think a lot of evaluators tend to think, you know what, I don't know more than Nick Saban, so we'll defer to his expertise and so some guys get ranked maybe a little bit higher than they should. Does that make sense? And eventually they leave, and all of a sudden they're a four-star in the portal, and somebody hypes them up again. Oh, he's a four-star. He went to Alabama. He got buried on the depth chart. Well, is that the guy you want? I don't know that it is. You know, we have had, um, you know, varying degrees of success with the portal, as have other people. But when you start comparing all this together, the transfers and the recruits, you know, State 29, Ole Miss 28. So right there together, they're at 212.39. We're at 212.01. And, of course, State's got a lot more commitment. So the math uh, certainly works in Ole Miss's favor there. And, again, it's just two ways of doing things. You know, and that will be the big story here over the course of the next few weeks is, uh, you know, Ole Miss is getting this transfer guy, that transfer. And State not expected to be nearly as bullish in the transfer market, even though we will take some players to fill some needs. But by and large, the Mississippi State philosophy is to get high school players, develop them, and then eventually make them stars. The Ole Miss situation is a little different. Again, it's it's not to say one's better than the other. We just don't have enough data yet. But uh, Ole Miss, again, really working the portal a little bit harder. And so, again, the thing that I go back to, there's a reason guys are in the portal. you got to make sure you get the guys that are in the portal for the right reason. You know, maybe it's a playing time situation. Maybe it's a change in offensive or defensive philosophy. You just simply never know, you know, how that's going to go. It's important to understand it's all a very inexact science, every single bit of it. But uh, you're kind of looking around the league here. I mean, there's just a lot of things to consider here. As, uh, you know, signing day is not everything. Reporting day actually means more than signing day. And it's not the issue that it once was because, you know, used to, you kind of had to sweat this thing out 
you know, when it came to um, came to qualifiers. But nowadays, you just don't do that. You know, you you just don't do that. You don't sign non qualifiers anymore because that you use that lose that spot. But uh, looking at the decommitments, you know, Alabama has had a couple decommitments this year. It even happens to them. Uh, Arkansas, of course, has had a handful of decommitments as well. Kind of counting through here, it's five for them. Because everybody thinks it only happens to them, right? It, it, you're only acutely aware of what happens with your program. Auburn has had uh, five decommitments as well. That's always it's interesting to me. You know, it's like you think, well, Steve, why are so many guys leaving? Well, why are so many guys leaving the class? Well, we really hadn't had that many. Florida's had a bunch, and we got one of them, you know, Creed Whittemore. But, uh, you know, looking at their numbers here, what is it, eight decommitments for Florida? Did you ever expect that? I mean, you know, Florida's a blue blood. Even Georgia, the defending national champions, they've had six decommitments this year. And there'll probably be some flips late. So these numbers could change. Kentucky's had a couple of decommitments this year. And, and not really having a great recruiting class. LSU, kind of a burr in the Bulldog saddle. They've had three decommitments this year. All that stuff's important to consider. I think it's important, too, on this show that we provide some context that people kind of understand. We've had one decommitment this year, and that was more mutual than I think people fully appreciate. It's Dante Kelly, who is now committed to Vanderbilt. So as it stands you know, today, Mississippi State among the leaders in the Southeastern Conference when it comes to decommitments. Missouri has had zero. Is that a surprise to you? Probably. You, know, you, you don't, you don't, you know, Missouri's not really on our radar. I mean, they're not even really an SEC school. Ole Miss now with two decommitments, counting Isaiah Miller going, uh, you know, against the the, uh, the rebel grain today. South Carolina with the Wonderkind, uh, Shane Beamer has had three decommitments. And Shane's doing a good job up there. I mean, better than I expected, I'll be honest with you. I think probably better than most people expected, but Shane is a winner. Tennessee, three decommitments this year. And, again, we, you start thinking, you know, it only, it only happens to Mississippi State. It, it doesn't only happen to Mississippi State. Texas A&M uh, with five decommitments so far. And, finally, Vanderbilt. You start looking at Vanderbilt and you think, why would anybody leave Vanderbilt? Well, they do. And they've had uh, six decommitments this year. So Mississippi State, the second fewest number of decommitments in the Southeastern Conference. That's important to understand, too. Let's look at the transfer portal, too. And there will be some more names go into the transfer portal. There will be more names that go into the transfer portal. As it stands today, Mississippi State loses Dylan Lawrence as a grad transfer, and I wish Dylan the best. He gave us his all. It just didn't work out. Xavion Thomas in the transfer portal. There is some discussion that he may come back. We'll see. Dylan Johnson in the transfer portal. Gabe Cavazos. Rex Robich is a uh, walk-on snapper. Matea Mariafa, also a walk-on. And Bull Hargrove, Rara Thomas. A lot of talk that Rara is going to end up at Auburn. Uh, Christian Ford went into the portal and is now at Appalachian State. So congratulations to Scooby Ford. Uh, Daniel Greek, now headed to Tarleton State. Not sure what Arthur Trafford's going to do. Reed Byers now headed to South Alabama. You know, so you, it's good to see some of these guys find opportunities to play elsewhere. 
but you start looking at these things and you don't you don't fully appreciate the fact that it, it kind of happens to everybody you know we talk about this texas a&m debacle that they're experiencing over there let's take a quick look at that just because i, I maybe it's my macabre sense of uh, curiosity but it's kind of counting down here one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three twenty four twenty five so twenty five since november twenty eighth 25 players in the portal. Some of those are walk-ons, but a lot of these guys are not. A lot of these guys are highly recruited guys. A handful of them are four-star guys. It's amazing to think about that. It's like we think, oh, we've we've lost Ra Ra. You know, the world is the sky is falling. Imagine being a Texas A&M fan. And to look a little closer to home here, we won't review everybody, but look a little closer to home here and look at the Ole Miss Rebels, because there are of course some people in the media within this state that think you know that, that everything is just all hunky dory. Ole Miss, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Eighteen players in the portal. It's amazing. And so I share that with you. I think it's important again to just to kind of frame things up and provide some context every bit of this because we again we we are all so emotionally invested in what happens at mississippi state we just doesn't think it happens everywhere else and sometimes you got to have some guys get in the portal to make some room and there will be more bulldogs get in the portal between now and the end of spring maybe one or two go in the portal after the ball game maybe others to go in after spring practice when they open the spring window but you need to be prepared for that and don't take it personally and feel like hey this is one of these situations that uh you know, that, that Mississippi State is failing some way. The transfer portal and NIL are part of our foreseeable future. So understand, and again, I'm not going to run through the transfer numbers for everybody, but we have decommitments. We have very few. As I mentioned, second in the SEC, only to Missouri, who has none. We have one, one, and that was more than mutual. And then you have all these transfer guys, and you look at our numbers compared to everybody else, and you realize we're doing well. Not to mention, after what many of our players have gone through. Could, could you blame a guy saying, you know what, I just want a fresh start. I just kind of want to get out from all this. But they didn't do that. The roster's kind of holding firm, but there will be some adjustments. And we're probably going to need the room to make sure that we're under the 85 next year. So understand it's going to happen, but it's happening everywhere. It's not an indictment on your program or your leadership or the fact that we don't have an AD the fact that we've got a first-year head coach. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the nature of business now in college football. And if we get down to brass tacks in this thing, you know, if you've got a guy that's two or three years into your program that is not contributing, it's better for everybody if he goes somewhere else. He gets an opportunity to go to a level that he can play. It opens up a spot where Mississippi State can send another player, perhaps that can play at a higher level than that gentleman did. It's just better for everybody. You don't want somebody just riding the roster and eating up your scholarship dollars and not providing a contribution on the field. It's an important aspect of all this. And, what, and what's fair? It's like, well, I don't want these guys to transfer because I don't want to have to hear about it at the water cooler. Well, you know, sucks to be you. 
It's a reality of life. And when so, when your old Miss friends say, oh, you just get transfer. Well, you've had 18. Give me a break. And again, that's not an indictment on Lane Kiffin or Ole Miss. That's just the nature of where we are right now in college football. And listen, I heard Jake Mangum speak recently and uh, love Jake. Do love Jake and his entire family. They're like family to me. And Jake talked about how he's kind of anti-transfer portal. You know, he said, hey, you know, we're teaching kids that you run from adversity rather than fight and compete. And I think he attributed the, the quote to Cole Gordon. I'm not sure how many people are in the portal now. It's a ton. It's a ton. And uh, let's see if we can get that information for you real quick here. It appears as of yesterday, there were just over 1,100 college football players in the portal. Now, a lot of those are walk-ons. They're not most, but a lot of those are walk-ons in search of a scholarship opportunity. But Jake said, you know what? Cole made the comment. There's not 1,100 bad situations out there, right? The portal was set up. It's like, hey, you know, things aren't going well, whatever. There's no way there's 1,100 players that are leaving a bad situation. They may be leaving a challenging situation. They may be leaving hard work they may be leaving a roster spot where they're perhaps they're behind a star but that doesn't mean it's a bad situation you know why not work hard and earn a job and listen i'm i am very student athlete friendly i think they deserve more rights i think they deserve more compensation and then that's been kind of bastardized too but what this portal has become is basically you know, an escape hatch for a lot of players that don't want to work. And that's not saying all of them. There, I mean, like, you look at Makai Polk. I mean, he was underutilized at Cal. He had a chance to come play in this offense and set a school record. So that, that's, a, that's a portal success story. Joe Burrow, buried on the depth chart at Ohio State, goes to LSU, wins a Heisman Trophy, has one of the greatest seasons in the history of college football, wins an Apple championship. That's a portal success story. But the reason you remember those things is because they're extraordinary. That's not the rule. That's the exception. You know, we talked, uh, Paul Jones and I talked, uh, you know, recently about a player that left Mississippi State. I'm not going to mention his name, but he goes in the portal and he has nowhere to go. He left an SEC opportunity where he was getting to play, not play a whole lot, but apparently he thought that he should be playing a lot more. He left, he didn't get picked up. I mean, how does that happen? You know, it's a valuable and lesson that you learn in life. You know, some players are very fortunate to have this opportunity, and I don't know that they all respect it. Many do, most do, but some don't. Well, I'm not getting to play hard enough, so I'm going to leave. And many of them have only been here for a year or two. And so you begin to ask yourself, have you really put your best foot forward? Have you really shown the staff what you can do? Have you really gone out and competed? Because yeah, for many players, it takes a year or two to acclimate to life in a Southeastern Conference. The game begins to slow down for you a little bit. But sometimes we get our feelings hurt. You know, sometimes a coach pushes us a little bit too hard and we think, well, I guess I'll go. We've made it too easy. And again, I'm very much in favor of students having as many rights as they can. But I think everybody this has got to be skewed a little bit. I I don't know what was wrong before with us having uh, a kid request a transfer. They find another school, and as long as the two schools agreed 
that he could have, he or she could have immediate eligibility, you did it. And I understand it's more paperwork. You know, nowadays it's just easy. A person goes in the portal, then goes somewhere else. There's no waiver required. But I think we're making it too easy for people to just run from adversity. Now, at the same time, too, you know, we're making it easier for coaches who have made bad evaluations of players to get out of those mistakes. And maybe that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, I begin to ask myself, you know, once you make a commitment to somebody, and it's supposed to be for four years, and I understand contracts and scholarships are renewable every single year, but I begin to ask myself, you know, hey, when you go recruit this kid, you don't tell them, hey, we're going to recruit you for a year, and then next year we'll reevaluate. And the flip side of that is, is coaches don't go sign a player and think, okay, well, coach, I had a decent freshman year, and this is what I'll take in NIL to stay. But next year, I expect to have a bigger year. It's going to be even more money. And so we have basically changed the complete dynamic of college athletics. And there are a lot of fans that are kind of disenfranchised with that. They just look at it and say, you know what? This is not what I signed up for. There's no loyalty. There's no continuity on the roster. And there is some. But it's difficult to kind of fall in love with players not knowing that they're going to be here next year. It's one thing if they go pro. It's another thing they get hurt. But the fact that a player would just leave – especially before they've even had a chance to really even get settled in, it's very, very unsettling. But that's where we are. That's where we are. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys many times before, if you're considering moving to the greater Starkville area, look no further than Portico. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12 leg going to campus. The very first right is Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stop, there you are. Your new home at Portico. Phase one is completely sold out. Phase two under construction now. Some of those homes have already been sold, but you still have a chance to pick out a lot and pick out a house plan. You could even get a custom build depending on what your uh, your needs are for your home. Great group of guys putting this thing together. Brooks Bryan, a part of that wonderful group of developers. Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. And Brooks can get you lined up. You can start with a four-bedroom, four-bath home, go all the way down to a two-bedroom, two-bath home, depending on your needs. Maybe you're going to be an empty nester and you think, you know what, we don't need all this room. But maybe you're going to do a bunch of entertaining. Maybe you've got a lot of friends and family to travel to Starkville to see ball games. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe it's your second home, your future retirement home. They have a plan to fit your needs. I encourage you to give Brooks a call today to get more information. Make Portico your next move. All right. In the time we have left... I want to hit on a couple of big topics here. Um, let me just check here. Check the women's score. And I know by the time that you guys listen to this show, you know, we'll, you'll know that the, uh, the women's game is final. But uh, let's check that before we kind of look back at the men here. Mississippi State uh, women's basketball. And I saw Robbie's tweet earlier. The, the, uh, I know the baller TV thing is uh, terrible. Terrible. All right, the, the ladies do win 83-47 over Old Dominion. That's a dominant performance. I don't know. We expected that. 83-47 winners. Old Dominion, uh, Nikki McCray-Penson's former team. But it looks like down in Puerto Rico they're playing basically in a high school gym. But, uh, you know, who cares as long as we get the W right. So congratulations to Sam Purcell. Not sure how many Bulldog fans we have down there, in there. So if you're in uh, Puerto Rico, maybe turn out and go, go cheer for the ladies. But, uh we talked on this show a few weeks ago about how both teams had a chance to really go on a run here, and it's kind of coming to fruition. That's not a hot take. I think most people, if you look at the schedule, you would probably be uh, inclined to agree with me, even in hindsight, that this is a team and teams 
they're kind of trending in the right direction. The women now 10 and 2. Let's give you a little quick look at the uh, at the Old Dominion. The box score is already up. The ladies will be back in action Wednesday uh, in Tampa, Florida, in the Suncoast Challenge. I don't know what, what did I say about Puerto Rico. It's making sense to me. Uh, but they'll play New Mexico at 12 p.m. That's also on Baller TV where you can uh, – it's worse than the Tennessee baseball broadcast. But uh, 83-47 winners. State dominates throughout. They win every quarter. Uh, the least amount was the first quarter. We were up 13-9. Then the second quarter, State goes on a run uh, to take a 36-18 to lead. And from there, uh, the Bulldogs just kind of cruise. This is at Pasco Hernandez State College West Campus in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. Crazy. All right, so look at the uh, Alana Smith with 23 points for your Bulldogs. Ace Johnson with 16. Danae Carter with 10. Bulldogs get it done. Shoot 68.75% in the third quarter, which was only surpassed by 75% in the second quarter. As a team, 57.4%. And then lethal from beyond the arc, 11 of 16, 68.8%. Only two of three from the free throw line. We weren't getting to the getting to the paint. Uh, that's not really correct, though. 44 points in the paint. They were just apparently scared to foul us. So, uh, big W as uh, Old Dominion now drops to 8-4 and four in the Sun Belt. So this is not a team that has been, um, you know, losing. They were 8-3 and three coming to the ballgame. This is one that we kind of looked at and said, hey, you know what, if we don't play well, we could lose. Well, we do play well, and we win going away. The attendance for the game was 135. So if you're out there in Newport, Ritchie, maybe make plans tomorrow. Maybe the kids are out of school. You're looking for something to do. So, again, Wednesday back in action against uh, New Mexico – and again, now 10-2, and two, and you start thinking about this, you know, closing this thing out with some juice as we get ready uh, next Thursday, December 29th, they head to Nashville to open SEC play. So a chance really to finish up non-conference in, in really good position on both the men's and the women's side. Quickly looking at the Lobos of New Mexico, they are 6-4. and four. I know we touched on this last week, but 6-4. and four. They will play tomorrow against Old Dominion. That'll be an 11 a.m. game. We have the day off, so they'll have to play on back-to-back days, uh, which will be interesting. You know, so maybe we can get in their legs a little bit. I like the way this thing lays out, especially after us winning today. So I would expect at this point State to win again. You never want to assume anything. But if Sam Purcell can end the non-conference 11-2 and with a loss on the road at South Dakota State and a loss on a neutral floor in San Juan to Nebraska – and both of those games were very competitive. I think you got to say that, you know what, this non-conference schedule has been good for Mississippi State. It wasn't the most challenging. We did have some challenging games, but by and large, we played to kind of get our legs under us. And I think you can say, you know what, season's off to a great start. I don't think there's any question about it. Mississippi State, one of what, five or six men's teams in the country that remains undefeated. In many respects, that game Saturday kind of felt like a loss. Just simply couldn't put them away. Give Nichols some credit. The last two games, you know, because like Steak was just kind of cruising, right? I mean, like we beat Utah down in Fort Myers, and that was that was a very, very good game. That that Fort Myers tip-off tournament, you know, we win both games by three points. Kind of made everybody play our game. And then all of a sudden we were rolling. We beat Omaha by 20. We beat Valley by 30. We go to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and beat the Golden Gophers by 18. And then all of a sudden – 
We beat Jackson State by 10, had to come from behind to do it. And then we narrowly escape against Nichols, 68-66. You start thinking, wow, yeah, wow. Mississippi State down at the half in that ballgame, 30-27. We bounced back in the second half and outscored them by five to win the game by three. But uh, 6,023 fans paid to see it. It's a nice, decent crowd considering the holidays. But it's just one of these games, like even, even when we had a chance to kind of get some separation, we just simply couldn't do it. I mean, you look back up here at, uh, you know, with the under the 14-minute mark, State pushes the lead out to 10, and I'm thinking, okay, we're good. Goes back and forth a little bit. Then we take it out to 12. You think, okay, we'll just kind of cruise on in here. Nichols like, and I don't know about that. We're going to hang around. Under eight, it's a six-point Bulldog lead. We turn the ball over. We finally push it back out to nine. And then from there, they just kind of hung in there with us. They cut it to three at 3.30 to play on a pair of free throws. And all of a sudden, there was no joy in Starkville. Cam Matthews gets fouled, knocks them both down, takes it back out to five. And next thing you know, with a minute to play, it is a one-point Bulldog lead, 102 to go. We are a bad defensive series away from losing to Nickel State Colonels. Instead, State gets to the line. Tolu knocks a couple down, takes it back out to three. And then we had a defensive lapse. They get a layup in the paint to cut it back down to one with 17 seconds to go. They have to foul. Cam Matthews uh, makes one of two. So they have the ball now with under 10 to play and a chance to tie or take the lead. However, they turn the basketball over. Cam Matthews with a big steal. He is a defensive stopper on this team. And from there, it was a free throw shooting contest that ultimately Mississippi State won. Not a beauty contest by any stretch. And Chris Jan's very disappointed in the postgame. And I don't know if maybe we just got a little bit lackadaisical and we got a you know, double-digit lead late and said, okay, well, they'll just go ahead and lay down for us. But they didn't. Bulldogs back in action again on Tuesday, so you can kind of double your pleasure on Tuesday. I don't know if you're working or not. But uh, the Bulldogs will be in action against Drake in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, this Drake team is capable of beating Mississippi State. You know as well as I do. They will bring their best effort. It's an SEC team that is ranked. It's an SEC team that is undefeated. It is an SEC team, period. This is a helmet sticker quality win. This is a net building opportunity uh, for the Drake Bulldogs. Now, at last we spoke, you know, Drake had a, a ball game over the weekend. They dropped that game to St. Louis, 83-75. That's on the road in St. Louis to the Billikens. So they enter our ball game having lost two in a row. Uh, they, they went and played in a little event out there in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, they dropped uh, both of those, or excuse me, that, uh, two of those three games. I guess I'm completely wrong about that. It wasn't a tournament out there. That was earlier in the season, the, 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 the Valley thing. And Anyway, forget what I said. They have lost two, their last two in a row, uh, lost at Richmond by 30, and they lose to St. Louis. So they've lost their last two games, both of those coming on the road. And you begin to look at their schedule here. They have not played exceptionally well away from their home arena. They are 3-0 on a neutral floor, but 0-3 in an opponent's gym. And, of course, we will play them on a neutral floor. So something's got to give, right? We're undefeated. They're undefeated on a neutral floor. 
But you got to like state's chances in this game. But we have got to play better than we have played. We have kind of gone through the motions uh, the last two ball games, and it's nearly cost us. And I think that's important to understand. Chris Jans is a great coach. We'll get these guys going. But you got to, again, a chance to finish the non-conference schedule 12-0. And I don't know that anybody expected that at the beginning of the year. All right, in our final minutes together, let me remind you, too, the, uh, the Leach Memorial is tomorrow. That's 1 p.m. at Humphrey Coliseum, and people are like, you know, Steve, are they selling tickets? Can I get in there? They're not selling tickets. It is open to the public. There, are some, there is some reserved seating for dignitaries and family and things of that nature. But, yeah, you'll be able to come in and, and see. I don't know how many people are going to be there. I have no clue. There's no way to know. When we, when we celebrated the Baseball NAFL Championship, we weren't sure what to expect. And, of course, you know, it was an amazing day. This is a day of a different variety. So if you're considering coming, come on. You know, we'll figure it out. You know, maybe you have to stand along the concourse. I don't know. Maybe you have a seat. I do know it's going to be broadcast on the SEC Network. I guess it can be streamed on your ESPN app. But this is a um, – it's going to be a difficult day. Now, the thing that I'm most excited about is, of course, to hear all the great stories because that's what things are healing, right? I mean, it's like I've read – so many of you have tagged me in so many stories – and I've read this about all of them. And uh, sometimes I get tagged multiple times and I'm not complaining because you, you never know I may miss one, right? But it's going to be a difficult day for all involved. And I think in some respects it can be a healing day as we all kind of come and accept the reality that Mike Leach is gone. Now Mississippi State has already moved forward and removed the interim label from Zach Arnett and made him the permanent head coach. I read with great interest some people that were being critical of that decision. Well, we, we should have at least have had coaches' funeral first. Well, signing day is Wednesday. And I can assure you nobody understands and appreciates the business of football more than Mike Leach. The last thing that we needed to do was just kind of linger around in our grief and not take care of the business of football. So Bracky Brett and Dr. Mark Keenum did the only thing I think they could do, which is go ahead and elevate Zach, give him an opportunity, and kind of neutralize many of the concerns that we've had about poaching of players and people negative recruiting against us. And there were some of our recruits that were hearing, hey, just wait and sign in February. You don't even know who the head coach is going to be. Well, we've removed all of that. We have. And, of course, this class is very strong. The leadership in the group is very good. They're very bonded to each other. But tomorrow is a, uh, is a necessary deal. And uh, I don't know how it's going to go. You know what I'm saying? I, I really don't know. My hope is – is that we'll have kind of a variety of moments. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there will be those heartfelt moments. It'll be difficult. Many of the speakers, of course, uh, I know some of them. I don't know if I'm supposed to put it out there, but there, there are some speakers, of course, that have been um, you know, very close to coach, but probably not close enough, like in recent years, that they can't get up and speak. But there will be a lot of fun stories. And uh, one of my favorite ones that I've read was uh, Lincoln Riley when he was a GA at Texas Tech. And Mike Leach is on the phone, and somebody calls, and he's like, oh, where are you calling from? And they're on the phone, they're on the phone. And Lincoln said he kind of zoned out, and all of a sudden the call got dropped, and he called them back, and he goes, hey, I lost you there for a minute. I'm sorry. Service hadn't been good. And he goes, Coach, who are you talking to? He's always the wrong number. You know, it's like that is so typical Leach, you know, the fact that he's just sitting there and somebody calls, and the next thing you know he is engaging them in conversation. I would love to hear those stories too, but um, – we have gone through something very traumatic as a fan base. This is a very, very resilient fan base. 
this is a very united fan base in many respects now, and, and it's a shame that maybe a month ago we couldn't say that. There were a lot of varying opinions about the direction of this program and, and about Mike Leach and the air raid offense, and I've had multiple people that have reached out and said, you know what, Steve, I just feel so bad about some of the things that I said. And, I, and as I've shared with you guys before, I can assure you Mike Leach never read it, cared about it, heard it. So forgive yourself and maybe learn from it, Right. It's one thing to be critical of the coach. It's nothing to be critical of the person. Big difference, right? Big, big difference. But uh, I'm eager to get this day behind us, but I'm also, too, to have the opportunity for us to kind of celebrate Mike Leach's life. And I'm so incredibly privileged that um, I could call him a friend. But, you know, collectively, you know, we talked about this would be Mike Leach's final stop. We certainly didn't expect it to end like this. We certainly didn't. But at the end of the day, Mike Leach ended his career here with us. And I know how grateful he was for the opportunity, for John Cohen, for Dr. Mark Keenum, and for all of you. And if you ever have any doubts about how Mike Leach felt about you, go look at the pictures you took with him and look at how eager he was to smile and how eager he was to take the picture. He was never, ever too busy to do it. He was always happy to do it because he understood you were the ticket-buying public. You were the donors to the Bulldog Club, the Bulldog Initiative. You're the ones that give cowbells for Christmas. He understood all that stuff. And I can tell you he loved Mississippi State. He loved Starkville. I shared with you guys on the last show, they'd, they'd plan to keep their place here and just kind of travel back and forth because of the community here. And Coach loved it. He did. And I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. I've enjoyed reading the stories, but I wish there were new stories, Right? I wish there were stories to come. I wish there were golden egg triumphs. I wish there was a trip to Atlanta. And I'm eager to see how this team responds and the Reliant Quest Bowl. As we get a little bit closer, we'll preview that. But I'm eager to see what the university does to honor Mike Leach's memory on game day, what our fans do to honor Mike, but also, too, to support your players. And I suspect we're going to see the Bulldogs come out ready to play. Of course, Illinois has their own issues, none as severe as ours. They've had some players opt out, and you know, Ryan Waters, of course, has left to take another job. But it's going to be an interesting ball game, And I can tell you that it's a game that Coach wanted. When he and I spoke when I was out in New Mexico, he was curious to what I was hearing about bowl possibilities. And I told him either North Carolina in the Gator or Illinois in the Reliquest Bowl. And he goes, oh, that'll be fun. I really like Brett. I really like Brett. He said, Brett's a lot of fun to be around. That'll be a great week. And unfortunately, the coach is not going to be there to enjoy it. But I do think it's great that, you know, one of the you know, coaches' wish for the bowl game comes true. And as you guys have mentioned how ironic it is, there's a pirate ship in the end zone. And maybe we can find a way to utilize that in some way to kind of make it our own. But we really need to win this ball game. I think this fan base needs it. I think this team needs it. These coaches need it. There's so many people that are emotionally invested in Mississippi State Athletics that, that need a win. We need, to, we need to send Mike Leach off with a win. And that's not to put any more pressure on anybody. That's just how the story should end, right? What, what would be better than seeing your Bulldog celebrate a victory with the pirate ship, you know, in the backdrop there, you know, sitting by, you know, celebrating with our fans? I can't begin to imagine how emotional that would be for everybody. It has been a very difficult stretch. We've mentioned, you know, Dave Nickel passing away and Sam Westmoreland passing away. These players and these coaches have had to endure a lot of tragedy in the last 12 months. It'd be nice 
to get next year off to a good start by winning this bowl game. And so that, that's my hope and prayer is that we can do that. I know many of you share that. But if you're on the fence about going, let me encourage you to go. I understand ticket sales have been picked up. Also, again, continue to hear and see that uh, fans of other SEC schools are going to go to pay tribute to Mike Leach. They're going to go to the game in honor of the Pirate. And I think that is an amazing thing. And, again, it just shows, again, it's not just our loss. It's a loss of college football. Coach Mike Leach, a national treasure, an absolute national treasure. And, uh, you know, today, I mean, all day long I've been thinking about the memorial, and, and I'm, I'm leaving as soon as it's over. And, I, and a lot of it, I just I can't wait to get on the road. I, I just can't wait to get on the road. But uh, a part of it, too, is, you know, these events sometimes can put you in a bad place and make you consider your own mortality. But my hope is, is the challenge from all of this is that, uh, you know, we will live in a way that perhaps uh, is indicative of our influence that we've received from Mike Leach, that you just simply enjoy life. Enjoy life. Take care of your responsibilities and get out and enjoy the world and enjoy your family and enjoy going and doing things together. And that's what I plan to do. That's exactly what I plan to do over the course of the next two weeks. So, again, programming note, Wednesday. Wednesday show will air Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Could be Thursday morning, depending on where you are. But, uh, listen, um, it's going to be an exciting stretch here in the next couple of weeks. Let's make the most of that. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilebook.com and you can get uh, signed copies of all my sports books there. That's a Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Dogpile. Bloomsville and are available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. Also available as an e-reader. And Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. That's it for today. Again, we'll be back with you guys on Wednesday night doing another show from uh, New Mexico. And I can't wait to get there. Absolutely cannot wait to get there. But until next time, Let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.